In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Donald Trump has been indicted in Atlanta. We have so many court dockets to follow, but we haven't really seen anything yet. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has covered every moment of this historic case. I've been writing about this investigation for two and a half years. Our team is led by reporters Bill Rankin and Tamar Hallerman. Follow our coverage on AJC.com and listen to new in-depth episodes of the award-winning podcast, Breakdown, The Trump Indictment, only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Politically Georgia podcast, where we bring you news and analysis of all the latest Georgia shenanigans in Congress and under the Gold Dome and on the campaign trail. I'm your host, Greg Bluestein, and today I'm joined by my colleague, James Salzer, our State House veteran. I love, I love saying that. Uh, thanks for joining us, James. Old man, you mean. <laughs> <laughs> James uh, has covered the Capitol for how many years now? Um, since just after Oglethorpe stepped off the uh, boat <laughs> in Savannah. Uh, 28 years. So he was in Atlanta when it was Marthasville. And <laughs> <laughs> Terminus. But even, even with all that, um, we mentioned this in the last podcast too, but I don't think you've ever seen anything quite like this secret recording and the fallout is already having on Lieutenant Governor Casey Cagle's campaign for, for governor. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's um, it, as I, I think I mentioned last time, um, you know, it's it was, uh, it was eye-opening for a lot of, it's not really eye-opening for anybody at the Capitol, but it's eye-opening for people outside the Capitol because everybody kind of knows that that kind of stuff is, you know, how things work. Uh, it, you just don't admit it. Uh, in recordings like he did. Um, so that was, you know, that's kind of what's new about it. It's just surprising. Let's get everyone up to speed on exactly what, what has happened over the last week. Now, um, earlier this month, we had Clay Tippins, who is a candidate for governor, who finished in fourth place in the May primary. He went to sit down with Casey Cagle for an endorsement meeting. Uh, little did Casey Cagle know that Clay had a iPhone tucked into his front jacket pocket and he hit the record button before. So in about a, a, a pretty lengthy discussion, I understand it's, it was about uh, 90 minutes, um, they talk about all sorts of issues, but the, the, the big part that Clay released to, to us in WSB-TV uh, is, is a nine-minute recording about school scholarship organization bill that Casey Cagle said he backed, um, even though he thought it was, in his words, bad public policy. He said he was willing to support what he called bad public policy that expanded the school tax credits to $100 million so he could prevent Hunter Hill, who at that time was in a really close battle with Brian Kemp for, for second place in that spot in the July 24th runoff, uh, to prevent him from getting outside help from a group called the Walton Family Foundation. Then we had an even a, a, another sort of bombshell revelation a few days later. Right. Um, his uncle, who was the Senate Education Chairman, um, talked to us about how um, not only did did the lieutenant governor um, support support legislation to avoid or to keep Hunter Hill from getting money, that he supported another piece of legislation, hoping that the same organization 
um, which, which supports um, uh, pro-choice uh, or uh, I school say choice. parental choice, uh, vouchers, that kind of stuff, charter schools. Um, that that uh, oh, and by the way, the, the Walton is the Walton family. You think it is? It's the Walmart family. Um, that they so they're uh, loaded. That, yeah, so they're loaded. Um, they have a little bit more money than you and I. Um, so in that conversation, he said that, that, that the lieutenant governor was supporting legislation so that he could get money from the same organization, which <clears throat> is a little bit different because in one instance, he's trying to prevent somebody else from getting money. But but it's a little bit different, I think, looked at it at least legally, probably, that when somebody says, you know, I'll do something for I'm doing something for campaign contributions or money. Yeah, so we have two separate instances. And one, we have Cagle's own voice saying that he supported school tax credit legislation to prevent Hunter Hill from getting uh, uh, help from an outside group. And another, we have Lindsey Tippins, who ended up resigning as education chairman, saying that not only did Cagle uh, want him to support uh, this other legislation that ended up boosting charter school funding, um, but he did so so he could get Walton Family Foundation to spend $2 million on his own campaign. So two different allegations that are both rocking this, the governor's Right, and, and in neither case did, did they, you know, did, did the lieutenant governor's campaign deny it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it makes you think, well, you know. I mean, I guess you can't, you can't really deny a, a, a tape recording, but you can, I guess you could deny the other part. But um, so immediately people started talking about, um, particularly after the second story, um, was it legal for somebody to do that? Um, it's it's not you know it's not it's it is it's an interesting legal question whether you can out and out say I'm doing something to get a benefit. Yeah, and let's say straight up here, um, Cagle has said he feels like there is none whatsoever legal uh, ramifications for his actions. Um, legal experts say it'd be a very tough case to build, but they're very um, skeptical about whether or not anyone will file charges. Right, this close right. to a yeah, runoff. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not, gonna, it's, it's not, not yeah, it does not look like that's going to happen. Um, and the Walton Family Foundation has said it did not end up spending money on the Georgia governor's race and that any speculation about its role or motive are, in their words, unfounded. Yeah, so, they, they've not, you know, they, they uh, I looked this up for one of your stories, but they have in the last, um, they started spending money in Georgia in 2012 when there was a constitution, proposed constitutional amendment that provided another pathway um, to create charter schools. And they they were big bankrollers in that. I want to say $600,000. Um, then they backed the Governor Deal's uh, constitutional amendment that failed. That, excuse me, that one passed. Then in 2016, Governor had a constitutional amendment to uh, allow the state to take over failing schools. And they put 400000 family put 400000 in that. That failed uh, pretty miserably. Um, but other than that, they've not put – it's not been like, you know, they've bankrolled the Republican Party or particular candidates. So, you know, it, it's it's kind of a – I guess of a little bit of a mystery or maybe it was just a rumor that was going around that, that, that they were going to put a lot of money into the race because they don't have that – they don't have that history. Yeah. Um, At and, least here. And, and when they do, as you mentioned, when they do spend money in Georgia, it's on issues. It's right. On, it's not necessarily to support a, a particular candidate. Um that that all being said, uh, the, the, I think whatever the, whatever it was, and I asked Lieutenant Governor Cagle this direct question. I said, "Why were you so caught up 
in worries about Walton Family Foundation, who told you they were going to spend money on Hunter Hill's campaign. Um, and he said he had heard so many rumors and innuendo, and again, his own words, he called them rumor and innuendo, and I guess they just got to him. And uh, he ended up started citing them not only to Clay Tippins, but also to his uncle, who for a long time was the Senate education chairman. And let's be very clear here. This is not some secret Tippins supporter, even though he, he even though his own nephew was running for governor. I mean, he early endorsed Casey Cagle and stuck by him, even though even when his nephew got in the race and through the primary stuck with him. Uh, it's only now that he's so he said he's so upset about what happened, and he's only willing to talk about it now that this audio recording. I don't think if this audio recording had come out from his nephew, um, and he told his nephew, by the way, he told his nephew um, he was concerned um, that, that about about his plans uh, to, to audio record. So he wasn't necessarily on board with the secret taping thing. Um, but it was only after the secret tape came out, he's like, you know what? This is this is sort of a relief to me right. that he can talk about it. Is what well, he said. Well, the other thing that that strikes me about this is that um, that uh, and when we talked about you know. Why do you? Why would you say that kind of stuff to an opponent? But the other thing that is interesting is you know you and I spent a lot of time at the Capitol during this session, and um, and there there's you know we if we we would never report or act on rumors because there are so many of them. I mean we we couldn't our fingers could not fly my, in the keyboard. my phone is filled with them right now. Right, <laughs> our, our our fingers couldn't fly fast enough to. To, to post things if we posted rumors or believed rumors I mean we check out things that we hear but we certainly wouldn't act on them so it's interesting that this rumor and I and 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 the the whole idea of the lieutenant governor um, making decisions based on um, those possibilities was something that other senators told us that they had heard about during the yeah. session. They, you know, there's nothing they could, you know, to them it was it was a rumor that he was using a rumor. Yeah. Um. So, um. That that's also interesting too to not really know that, but to act on it essentially. And and also, I mean, look, the, the Republican senators, whether or not they had their own misgivings about the bill, also overwhelmingly voted for both these bills. The um, school st- uh, student scholarship organization bill, the tax credit bill, I- increasing that credit to $100 million, passed with only three Republican no votes. And the charter school bill that increased funding by about $17 million to state sanctioned char- charter schools um, got only one Republican no vote. In both those cases, it was Lindsey Tippins. And in the interview with him last week, um, me and uh, my colleague Jim Galloway were sitting in his in his living room up in Ackworth, and um, to say he got emotional is a little bit of an understatement. I mean, this is a this is sort of a grizzled veteran uh, lawmaker who who usually doesn't wear his emotions on a sleeve. But when we started asking him about what happened with les- legislation, he did get emotional. And at one point, he was relaying. Um, how Casey Cagle, at some point in the process, near the end of the, as they were debating, um, Casey Cagle told him, you know what, never mind all that. I don't care. In his words, he said, F this group and F their money. I don't care about this. I want to do what's right. And I want to do, I don't do this for you. You're my friend, Lindsay. And Lindsay said, and Lindsay took out a napkin and dabbed his eyes. I mean, he was getting verklempt, as we would say. Um, but he he said, uh, you know, at that point I realized that wasn't that I had my friend back. I had that's the Casey I knew because these guys go way back. Right. And then just a few days later, um, he he passes this bill out of the committee. 
and he finds out there is a floor amendment, which basically is a last minute uh, dramatic rewrite of the bill and that he had no say in it. And it was going to happen. He and, becomes Charlie Brown. Yep. Missing <laughs> the football. Yeah, he missed yeah. the football. He yeah. was, and he was the one Republican who – it was the 35 to 1 vote, if I remember on the, uh, correctly, on the Republican side of that of the ledger. Not, not too many Democrats support it. No. But 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 if to be the only Republican in the caucus right. and to be the education chief, right? I mean, that really hurt him. So when he when we sat down with him to talk about this, he he said it felt like a tremendous load off of his off of his back that he was able to, to talk about this publicly and, and in some sense, even though he might not have agreed with what his nephew did, and he didn't really go into detail about whether or not the moral implications of the secret recording, but it did clear the pathway for him for him to come out, and you know. Next year is going to be a really interesting year to see him on the floor. Yeah, I mean, it, it, and it, that kind of, you know, it's those are that's going to be difficult for a longtime chairman of any committee. I remember last year um, there was a bill that had been killed several times, partly because we reported a lot on it on a, on a, um, a I don't even know the right word to use, but it's a it was a it was a financial it was Capco. Um, it was Capco, yeah, but it was but it was a, a plan that the state would dump a bunch of money into uh, startup companies, but it would be run through a few um, national financial um, interests. Um, and, and the chairman of that committee, uh, Senate Finance Committee at the time, wouldn't let the bill out of his committee. Um, called it a scam on the huh. on the floor of the Senate, but um, the lieutenant governor in the you know House uh, Republican Caucus passed it, and I, he probably felt kind of the same way you, you, that you, you know, you've done the research. It's your committee. Um, you think it's bad policy, but then they go ahead on the last night of the session and vote for it anyways. And in that case, in, in other cases we've seen, we, you have the chairman or the, the person who who you think is would be the the final voice on it saying saying their critiques of it, but it still passes. But in this case, it's so different because not only did Lindsey Tippins, and he went to the floor of, of, of the Senate too uh, to talk about why voter, about why uh, lawmakers shouldn't pass this bill. We also have him now saying not only did was he was he ba- basically forced to pass this bill or was it was pushed through the legislature, but also because Casey Cagle said he would get $2 million in outside funding. And that's why we have all these these sort of criminal investigation calls from politicians from both sides of the aisle. You know, it's, the other thing that was interesting about it, and this tells you a little bit about what, what how this campaign, um, how this race, uh, um, um, how this race is going, that the the day that story came out, um, really that night, and then since then, the people that I hear that I that that talk to me who are defending it or saying you know that's the way it is that's the way it always is there's no story here or whatever are all people that lobby yeah or or are agency people who who kind of, who spend a lot of time at the legislature and they're like you know there's no story there they won't, this won't have any impact blah 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 but some a number of the legislators who go out and talk to you know their constituents and people outside the legislature um, are the ones who are like you know thinking this is a really big deal and it's going to have a fallout effect. And the flip side of the coin is the 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 people, the politicians calling for criminal investigations now are either supporters of Kemp or they're Democrats. And we had this a couple of days ago. We had two veteran 
Republican state legislators write a, write a letter to B.J. Pack, who's the U.S. attorney, um, the head of the FBI in Atlanta, and to District Attorney Paul Howard, all urging them to launch an investigation into Casey Cagle, whether or not he violated right. bribery laws with a, with a sort of what they say is a, a pay-to-play scheme. Right. So, so it is interesting that now that we have, you know, th- 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 that tells you, um, tells me a little bit about who they would like to see as the Republican nominee, doesn't it? Um, you know, they 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 prefer the guy who, uh, you know, two months ago they were accusing of uh, pointing a shotgun at a kid and and wanting to pick up uh, illegal immigrants in a, in his pickup truck and take drive them to Mexico. I mean, they they're they're um, the the Democrats are probably gleeful, thinking that they're going to have um, uh, Brian Kemp as opposed to. Casey Cagle is their opponent, which is interesting. Oh, Democrats have, have definitely jumped on that bandwagon. Uh, you, you have DuBose Porter, the head of the Democratic State Party, holding basically, um, da- it seems like daily press conferences at, in some form or fashion with t- featuring state lawmakers, teachers, parents, all attacking, uh, criticizing and assailing Casey Cagle. The other day they held a protest outside Casey Cagle's campaign headquarters uh, one of the protesters, for some reason, was dressed as a dinosaur. Um, and, <laughs> and Charlie Bailey, who's the Democratic nominee for attorney general, is out now saying publicly that if he were the state's top prosecutor, he would be launching an investigation ASAP into – he says, I don't know if there's any cr- criminal wrongdoing, but it's – where there is smoke, there is fire, is what he said, and that they have the the duty to look into it. Chris Carr, his campaign, by the way – um, he is the incumbent Republican attorney general, says that that's a rush to judgment and that, you know, everything that they do is thorough and they're not going to do any sort of political prosecution. Well, yeah, I was going to say the reality is, is that, you know, I've seen quite a few attorney generals in this state and covered quite a few attorney generals in this state do not generally um, involve themselves directly in politics like that and very seldom investigate uh, politicians. They, they t- the tendency is for them to hand off those kind of things. Um, or the appearance of what what they're doing is handing it off to the U.S. Attorney's Office. So it's really a question for almost for B.J. Pack as opposed to um, Chris Carr, locals, or 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 um or Paul Howard, who's the D.A. of. I'm not saying he can't Fulton do County. it. I'm just saying they don't. Yeah, I mean, you know, from from you know Thurbert Baker, you know, Michael Bowers was, was a you know hard as nails, mm-hmm. tough guy, uh, Attorney General, but they didn't investigate that many politicians. And also, again, not, not only do legal analysts question whether or not there is a criminal case here, um, there's also some offices, and I don't know the particulars, but some offices tend to have policies saying they can't launch investigations within a certain time frame right. before an election. Like the Ethics Commission doesn't. They gener- they, the Ethics Commission generally doesn't. I don't remember if it's a policy or not. I think it is, though. But uh, the Ethics Commission generally will not, like, debate um, complaints a certain amount before the election because – I mean, the history of the commission has been, um, for you know, a couple of decades at least, it was people would file complaints just so you could get headlines before an election. So they've, they've, uh, that's an agency that at least has tried to, as much as possible, keep politics out of what they do right before an election. And look, earned media getting getting those those free headlines is definitely a huge part of Brian Kemp's strategy. He is. Uh, being tre- he was tremendously outraised by Casey Cagle doing the primary. We're not sure of how much money they're raising 
uh, in this runoff cycle because we won't see the numbers until early July. But we, we can assume that Casey Cagle's financial advantage remains pretty pretty big. And we know for certain that outside groups are starting to pile in. Um, this group was uh, changing Georgia's future. Yeah, right, right. A, a pro Cagle outside group just spent a quarter of a million dollars on ads attacking Brian Kemp. And Cagle's campaign is now in at least at least two ads since the since his first place finish in the primary. Um, one of them is attacking Cagle, uh, Kemp, and the other is is boosting his own campaign and talking about the economy and sort of feel feel good issues. To call those outside groups is uh, uh, pretty hilarious since the you know, they're obviously people who are supporters of his who are putting those together. Yeah, I, I, I tend to put them in stories as pro-Kegel outside groups because they're... Cause they're, <laughs> they're not outside. They're about as inside as you get. <laughs> so pro-Kegel, insidery outside groups. Yeah, there you go. Because they're run by lobbyists <laughs> yeah. and, and and campaign operatives right. and all these people sort of in the in the Kegel and they're sphere. Getting, and they're getting money from the same people that give money to his campaign. They just can get a lot more and it doesn't have to more. be documented. Yeah, you don't have... Yeah, you can give you can give a million dollars to one of those things and, and you know, that's all fair game. Yeah, and so that's why one big donation can, uh, one big contribution can really help set the, uh, the at least the uh, the TV and advertising um, agenda. Um, so that so so you know Brian Kemp has to have has to try to keep this sort of running in his own uh, in his own dimension. Um, he hasn't specifically said he he has been a lot less scathing than some of his surrogates. Right, right. I'll put it that way. Right. But that you know, but te- but that is typically what happens is the candidate wants to quote stay above the fray, which is again just like outside groups. It's not really true, but I mean he 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 has people around him who are the ones you know saying the damaging things. Exactly, because when he does get in the fray, whether it be at a forum or a debate or in a TV ad or uh, in a, you know in a in a in a big media event at an endorsement rally or whatever like that is, it will still it will be another big piece of news sure. because. He's going to try to sort of slow play this um, because the election is still six weeks away, which yeah. is which is a, a, long, a long time. time. It's a glacial glacial age. Think about it this way: the the South Carolina gubernatorial primary was was last week, and they have a runoff set for later on this. I think it's later on this month. It's right. before our runoff is. Wow. Yeah, it's nuts. So it might be early July, but it's still it's still well before our runoff is in Georgia because of a nine week rule that was adopted by a federal judge and lawmakers kind of went along with it. And we've got a really, really drawn out process. Meanwhile, Stacey Abrams, the Democratic nominee for governor, is is biding her time. She's loving, her she's life. loving it. She's loving life, man. <laughs> she has consolidated pretty much all Democratic support. Now, uh, Stacey Evans, her her primary opponent, main highest profile Supporter was former Governor Roy Barnes, who got on the Stacey Evans bandwagon really early. A poor country lawyer. Yeah, <laughs> a former governor who ran, in, uh, who who was governor from ninety eight to two thousand two, and ran again in two thousand ten and lost. Um, he he gave Stacey Evans some a really a jolt of 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 legitimacy really early in her campaign by endorsing her way back. It was about a year ago. Um, well, the other day he endorsed Stacey Abrams. Giving, I guess, bearing the hatchet into whatever lingering animosity or or lingering divide there was between the two different Democratic camps, that that tends to be uh, soothed when Stacey Abrams wins by fifty two plus right, points, right, right? Right. I mean, there, there there can't be too much of a dialogue about about divided Democrats when your candidate gets more than three quarters of the vote. Right. Right. You can't really be you can't really be too angry at that point or bitter about that point. And she's trying to seize on this whole uh, secret tape recording by saying she's the only candidate who would not, in her words, vote to privatize schools. And she had a big town hall the other day 
focused on not just education. Every governor, every candidate for governor says they want to be the education governor. She says she will be the public education governor. Emphasis on public. Right, right. So that that's the the, the beginning of the campaign to to um, say Republicans don't support public education. That they want um, they want to give vouchers to. Um, uh, wealthy families so they can send their kids to private school and don't have to uh, mixed with the uh, um, with the public school students you know it's it's that's beginning of the code language for what is kind of the typical uh, education debate it seems like in, in, in the governor's race and it's part of it's also going to be part of her general election strategy to focus uh, even more so on education on healthcare, on on economy, on issues that are that are that are more of a broader base than 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 some of the primary issues she focused on to appeal to uh, the core Democratic voters. She's not running away from the 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 unapologetic, in her words, unapologetically progressive issues that that she ran on in uh, in the primary. But I also we're not going to see as, as big of a emphasis on them going to the general. Yeah, because, you've seen, and you've seen, and those are the same issues yeah. that, that that politicians have run on forever. I mean the. Um, Zell Miller ran on those issues in 1990 when he beat Johnny Isaacson. I mean, those are the, the, the you could lay out five different issues, um, and those are going to be the same ones they're going to talk about. And education is always going to be education and jobs are always going to be the two you know two near the top, and they tend to not. While the 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 there will be obvious differences on a lot of social and and other issues. Uh, uh, immigration and you know religious, religious liberty, and social legislation, social legislation. Those are going to be where there's like a huge amount of difference. But you know, if if Casey Cagle or Brian Kim who wins the Republican nomination, they're going to say they're going to be the education governor, and, yep. be, and they're they're going to say that they're going to create jobs. Um, so there are there are going to be incredibly stark differences. I think um, no matter who wins the Republican nomination with with uh, Stacey Abrams. But for right now, yeah, why not talk about education? Exactly. And and why are Republicans not focusing on – and to be, to be clear, they're, they're, you know, they're talking about jobs in the economy too, but they're also talking about a lot of the social legislation. But why? Because you might, you might be lucky to scrape double digits with turnout in July 24th right. for this runoff, and the people who are turning out tend to be the most core conservative – um, you, you could call them Republican activists, the people who really are driven to the polls by, by certain issues. And a lot of them tend to be motivated by Second Amendment issues, by religious liberty, right. by some of those big issues that, you know, you hear about all over the state when you go to these uh, Republican uh, rallies and, and conventions and things yeah, like we that. Did, you remember, we did this story in April about how um, candidates running for insurance commissioner and secretary of state felt the need to lead their speeches um, to Republican voters on how much they supported the Second Amendment. I mean— And they have and nothing they, to do they, with they, guns, yeah, they right? won't. Yeah, I mean, you know, they both might—they might all carry guns. The insurance commissioner is not going to—or the secretary of state is not going to um, have a word to say about any legislation on— um, on gun control or, or, on, or on allowing a greater— uh, carrying and supportive weapons, they're they're not going to have any say in that, but they felt the need to. I th- we had, I think we might. Have, I don't remember if we used the tape, but I, I used the quote in this story that the the one of the candidates for insurance commissioner started his speech. He had four or five minutes to speak, and he started his speech talking about how much he supported the Second Amendment. 
Now you won't you won't hear from him uh, the rest of the time because he got he got beat in the primary. But still, I mean, the fact that and and actually, so did the Secure State candidate. Come to think of it, that we talked to, um, but maybe maybe we didn't help him. But <laughs> but um, but you know that just shows you if that's true in the primary, it's probably doubly true in the runoff. runoff. It's probably even lower. Turnout, where where right? you're lucky to have about half the turnout you had in the, in the primary. Um, speaking of the runoff, one one more race we want to address today. David Schaefer against Jeff Duncan, runoff for lieutenant governor. Yeah. And Schaefer sure seems like he's starting to consolidate Republicans. Yeah, more. yeah. He, you know, he uh, he was uh, letting us know, uh, letting all of us know repeatedly uh, for the last year, the various people who endorsed him, including some people like who haven't been in politics for like 50 years. And we had to look up who they were. But um, but he was you know he was he's worked really hard for endorsements and and he's a guy who works really hard in politics he's uh, knows what he's doing and so um, I was very interested in a week or two ago when he had it might have been longer than that but when he had um, Rick Jeffries mm-hmm. former senator who came who in was third. third place candidate endorsing him and then he had. You know, the Republican, uh, you, you kind of expect the Senate Republicans to endorse him, although including in those endorsements was the Senate Majority Leader who um, was quoted in the investigation, uh, investigative report um, uh, of the sexual harassment case against Senator Schaefer saying he believed um, the lobbyist um, who was involved in that. Uh, Senator Schaefer was exonerated in it. But, um, you know, even he was saying, you know, I'm with Senator Schaefer, and now uh, it was it today or the last couple of days, a whole bunch of the House um, uh, Republican leaders have gotten on the bandwagon. So um, I mean, it makes me think that you know they see the running on the wall. Uh, if you're a House member and you got a bill uh, next you session, you want that lieutenant governor. You want the lieutenant you. governor because the lieutenant, as, as, as Lieutenant Governor Casey Cagle has said. He's the guy who can stop him. You know, he's the guy who can stand in the way of leg- legislation. He can stop it. And so, uh, you know, smart move by the Republican um, House members and House leaders to say, you know, I'm going to be on board the guy. If they, th- I mean, the, he, look, he got 49 percent in the in the in the primary, and you usually don't lose when you get 49 percent. Yeah, I mean, he was within a whisker of 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 winning this race without a runoff. Yeah. And usually, you know, when you have someone who does that well, they also the, the second place finisher comes under pressure to drop out because right. because th- this is also this won't be nearly as costly uh, as as the governor's race but it still can be really damaging for both the candidates involved. Look, Sarah Riggs Amico is the Democratic nominee for lieutenant governor. Uh, you have to be fooling yourself. You don't think she's watching for every little attack they're they're lobbing back because sure. she'll be able to use that in the general. She already is using the sexual harassment stuff, even yep. though the case is over with. Yeah, exactly. So there was some pressure on Duncan to drop out, but his campaign made it really clear overnight. And I got a text message early in the morning, right after the, the, the May 22nd vote, so it would be early May 23rd, saying not only are we not dropping out, but we really believe, this is their words, that if Schaefer wins the nomination, the, the seat will flip to Democratic for the first time since Mark Taylor in 2006 held that seat. Uh, he ran for governor, and Casey Cagle beat Ralph Reed in the Republican race to, to become the first Republican lieutenant governor in Georgia history. Uh, they they think that uh, if if David Schaefer is the nominee, this this seat will be flipped right back into Democratic hands. Hmm. <laughs> we heard that before. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, that's about it for this week's edition of the Politically Georgia podcast. Head to AJC.com forward slash politics to subscribe to Politically Georgia. You'll get access to our daily newsletter along with all of our stories and updates and all things Georgia politics. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and rate us. And as always, thank you for listening. Hip hop is a product of black people. It's a product of black song. The celebration. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution presents. Hip-hop's most pulled elements are pulled from the South. A Southern hip-hop store. We always go back to that moment of the Source Awards. Everybody wants a rhythm, but they don't want your blues. The biggest names in hip-hop. Atlanta is still the mecca for hip-hop. 50 years. No one can deny. One film. The power of the South now. The South got something to say. Streaming now at AJC.com slash hip-hop. Our journalists at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution are working around the clock to keep you updated on all the developments surrounding the Trump indictment. Now the AJC is putting all of our coverage in one place with our new Trump 19 newsletter. Every Wednesday, you'll have our latest coverage and analysis on this historic case in your inbox. So sign up for free today at AJC.com slash indictment newsletter. That's all one word. AJC.com slash indictment newsletter.